Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. First Peter um, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So we're starting a new series here tonight. Um, the Lord has really been working on me. I'm going to move our uh, kind of some book studies and different series into our Wednesdays. We're taking a different look at our Sunday mornings as we have uh, announced to you a combination of those services. We're very excited about that. What a host of people have reached out about your excitement in regards to that, and we thank God. Here's the thing. Let's come in here on Sunday with expectation. With expectation. We cannot out-anticipate God. If we can dream it up, He can do it. I'd love for someone to walk out of this house on Sunday freed and saying, I know it was the Lord. I know it was the Lord. I want to see us baptize people right there in the name of Jesus Christ. See them filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But the Lord, the Lord has really impressed on me um, to begin to look at First and Second Peter. Here's how I can tell you it was the Lord. I would not have picked this. I would not have picked this for our summer series. Um, First Peter, Second Peter, these are a couple of those books Brother Sipes, really, these are those books that every now and then we quote one or two verses from. But most of us don't really ever look at them. We might listen to them on the bread chart, but they're real small. And so we get through them. There's only five chapters in 1 Peter, but there's a lot of weighty significance. And if we're not careful, sometimes we may know that the books are there, but not treat them the way that they are meant to be treated. And I felt compelled by the Lord, Brother Brown, that we're supposed to walk through these books. Um, I, I think it's probably going to take us all of June and July on Wednesday nights to walk through these books. But God is going to do something for us. How many believe that the, the Word of the Lord gives us instruction? It gives us instruction. And so tonight I'm going to do kind of an introduction in regards to 1 Peter and... Uh, I want to do just an introduction to this book and why it is so critical. Um, I'm going to give you some homework. I'm so sorry. I'm going to give you some homework. I think we should, here's what I like. Often I walk in for the next service and someone comes up to me and is still talking about the previous sermon, the previous message. We should leave church wanting to dive more into the text. And so... Even if you don't want to, I'm going to try to get you to after, after this. And all the, all the uh, college students that are already out of college, they're thinking their homework was done. Uh, so sorry. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered, Throughout Pontus, Galatia, 
Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. It's a very formal introduction, tells us who is being introduced um, and who is being addressed. So before we start this study here tonight, I want us to now pray. We've prayed for the sick. We've prayed for those that were in need of special prayer on any manner. We've prayed for those even that could not be here tonight. I want us to pray for us. I want you to pray for you that God's word could begin to touch your heart and touch your mind. I, I'm going to tell you the objective of this entire series before we begin. We must please God. There are, there are churches everywhere that will try to just preach people to be happy. Happy fades. We must please God. Would you pray that with me right now? God, help me to please you. Let your word get through my ears and into my mind. Let it find lodging in my heart. As the psalmist even said, I, I want it to be hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. As we do a survey of these books, oh God, some exegetical work, some uh, high level and some in-depth look, God, let it be for more than just passing of the time. We want to study to show ourselves approved, a workman that needeth not be Ashamed, we want to rightly divide the word of truth. We didn't show up here tonight, God, so that we could say that, that we just put in our time at church. We want your word to touch our hearts and touch our minds and speak to us. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. And let everyone say amen. God bless you and you may be seated. First, Peter, it's really where we're starting and what we're addressing, this textural application, what it means to us. According to Jim Samra, the goal of First Peter is to form a community of people who live in submission to God's will and are faithful witnesses to God's salvation in a hostile World, You've heard me say some uh, in reference to this over the last six months. We're going to really take a look at this in 1 Peter over the next few weeks. But I want to say it at the onset. This book is extremely applicable to us. Extremely applicable. The perversion of our world is so closely mirrored to the scenario in which Peter is writing these general epistles. You might say, well, it's, 
Technology was different. Technology was different. But the way they were given to sin is as similar now. It's, it's never been as similar as it is right now. And, and the writing, the epistle, the letter is saying you can live submitted to God, pleasing to God in a hostile world. Well, Pastor Carson, we're not in a hostile world. What world are you in? <laughs> you ever had somebody ask you that? What world are you living in? If we're living in this world, we're living in a hostile world. Well, we don't have coliseums. No, but we have UFC. We have professional boxing that gets paid millions. Oh, that's not many amens, but we're not supposed to be in love with physical abuse. Man, I feel an old anointing on me tonight already. We've got to please Him. Live separated unto the Lord gladly and unapologetically as exiles. Everyone say exiles. Exiles in the world, thankful for salvation. I don't fit in. You're not supposed to. Brother Marshall, we are not supposed to fit anywhere but the church. We're not meant to blend in. Well, I don't like holiness. Well, holiness is so that people can recognize you. Some people think that it's your holiness that saves you. It's your holiness that identifies you with Him. It's your holiness. Hmm. It's what He's teaching them. It's what He's writing to them. Be holy. Somebody said, well, I don't like the word holiness. Well, you can't like God. He is holy. It's what He is. He's holy. And so my holiness unto Him, my separation from the world is because I am an exile, but I'm thankful for salvation. And that's what the author is writing here. First Peter illuminates both the existence and the realism of Christian suffering with this caveat. But there is the blessing of salvation. Had to tell someone recently, Someone said to me, but I don't understand because what I'm praying, he is not answering. My question is this, has he filled you with the Holy Ghost? Because if you have been able to repent of your sins, you have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you have been filled with his spirit, you have the promise of salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter if any other blessing comes your way, the blessing of salvation should make us lift our hands in the air and put a smile on our face and joy in our spirit. And that's what the author is telling them. The author is writing to them. Peter is writing to them and telling them Christian suffering is true, but salvation outweighs the suffering. 
Suffering is somewhat relative, and we're going to talk as we study through these chapters, the different areas of suffering. For those who have endured suffering, it will be on all different levels in all different places. All different individuals of all different types enduring suffering. But we must be thankful for salvation. Within the confines of suffering, this will not only be physical persecution for being a believer in Christ, but there will be multiple facets discussed. We're going to unpack them in this series, some of them the more subtle forms, the more subtle parts, the more subtle areas of suffering. Somebody said, well, you're not suffering. Here's one of the dangerous things that we can do, compare our suffering with someone else's. How many believe according to the text, that we each have our own cross to take up. All the, all the couples in here, there was probably a time when you and your spouse had to go through the love languages. How many remember that book? And if you didn't, let me just tell you, you need to go through that because it will point out how different you and your spouse are, Okay? Every person in here is as individual as your DNA. You're different from the person next to you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, we're different. I saw some of the husbands and wives look at each other like, <laughs> we're different. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for the fact that we're different. But listen, what might not affect you mentally might affect someone right near you greatly and what might not affect them emotionally might absolutely wreck you that's why the bible says he will not put upon you that above which you're able he knows what we can handle he knows what we can endure but suffering will be a part of it at all different levels this book is going to address trials sufferings Physically, mentally, spiritually. We got into the church. Let me talk about spiritual attacks, and many people here have dealt with it. We got into the church remodel. Let me just point something out. I, I was talking to Brother Gallion about this. I talked to the, I think I talked to the whole pastoral staff in, in pastoral meeting a couple weeks ago. We started the church remodel. Everything at my house broke. My air went out. Plumbing broke, the garage door broke, the dryer broke, every, one week. I'm supposed to live at the church that week. Brother Means, I'm supposed to keep a sledgehammer in my hand. We had enough people doing that, I think. But the week I'm supposed to be there, everything at my house broke. Where's Brother Barkus? I saw him. Brother Barkus, your AC didn't ask you that week if you thought it was okay for it to go out. Brother Lopez, stuff at your house that broke down. Had the part on the back, had the plumbing issue. You didn't even realize how bad that was. Somebody said, well, that's just coincidence. I don't think so. And those testimonies are all over this room. People that had given money, people that had given up their time. Why does that happen? Because part of suffering is distraction. Hear me now. Part of suffering is distraction because if he can get your eyes on the suffering and off of the salvation, if he can get, watch this, 
if he can get me to lift up the suffering, then I can't really well lift up Christ at the same time. That's how magnifying works. Let's get back to the basics of this. What does it mean to magnify Christ? We know that a magnifying glass, where's my science people in this room? I think that's what it would be, except how about even those people that you just used to use a magnifying glass to burn insects outside, you know? You didn't make the insect any bigger. You didn't take that magnifying. Now some of us that are getting, who right now in your purse has cheaters in your purse? Come on, ladies. You got cheaters in your purse. Can't read, hope, help magnify that text. Here's the deal. If that text is a size 12 font, it is not magically becoming a size 24 font because you put your Coke bottles on. But it's magnifying the text. So therefore, the basics of this, you understand this, when we magnify Christ, we cannot make him greater. We can't make him larger, but we can acknowledge him as greater we can acknowledge him as more mighty. So that's where we're seeing this letter being written. Are we going to speak more about the suffering? Are we going to increase the font on the suffering? Or are we going to increase the font on the salvation? Am I going to speak, speak about and spend my time consistently talking about the things that are broken? Or am I going to roll my sleeves up do the best I can and say, but at the end of the day, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. How many know that's easy to do it? It's easy to focus on the suffering at times, isn't it? But how many, let me, let me poll the crowd on this Wednesday night. How many have found when you begin to magnify God in the middle of a dilemma, it starts to ease your mind, it starts to ease your spirit, you start to feel better about it? Why is that? Because if we're not careful, suffering can become the idol that displaces salvation. We have people in this room right now that suffer sickness ongoing, chronic pain. I tell you before God, I don't understand it. <gasps> You're the pastor. You should know. I don't know. Other than this, regardless, he is good. And heaven will be worth it all. And I speak clearly to someone in this room tonight when I tell you, if your suffering has begun to become the idol that has displaced salvation as the primary joy in your life, then you need to pray, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Renew that right spirit in me. Get things turned back. And that's what we're really reading about here, okay? That we have got to focus regardless of the suffering. There are a host of critical subjects you'll see on the screen Peter addresses in 1 Peter alone. We're going to consider in this study over the next several weeks. You can see this list here, fear and reverence in God, sovereignty and grace, spiritual gifts, elders in the church, hospitality, evangelism, submission, covering authorities, marriage, spiritual warfare. You said, oh man, we're doing a lot. 
He was addressing these things in these five chapters alone. He is writing this letter. Why? Why is he addressing all of these different areas and different items? Why is he trying to deal with all of this? Here's why. He thinks that regardless of the hostile environment, the church should be healthy. Brother Roman, that's the lesson for each of us. Regardless of how hostile the environment, regardless of how present the sufferings, the church should be healthy. It is the will of God. The church, the organization, the, the body of believers, regardless of the attacks, regardless of the persecution, regardless of all of those fiery darts of suffering, the church can and should be healthy. This general epistle is a form of exilic literature, teaching exiles how to live faithfully in foreign settings, land, hardship, kingship, rulers, what they would know as lords. This leadership literature that was being written to them, it was, it was an epistle that was being written. An epistle, a general epistle to the church, and it was being written to them. We often hear, let me make sure that we're all aware of this. We often watch the language Babylon, and we, we will read it here in First in Peter again. We hear Babylon, if we're not careful, we think of Babylon, the place. But we need to know even First even Peter chapter 5, verse 13, speaks specifically from Babylon where this is referencing. This is being written to us about and from Rome. So when I liken it, the very introduction here tonight, our present world, I am likening it unto that spirit of Babylon. If you've heard someone say or preach or talk about the spirit of Babylon, often from this part of the New Testament, they are referencing Rome. And what they're referencing is that rampant perversion that has intertwined with religiosity. You heard me preach about Jacob and Esau two Sundays ago, and I began to mention where they were headed. And we watched that transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament, from that sin transition and the growth, and really where Rome has ended up by the time that Peter is writing this to the church. It seems as though it's almost as diabolical, if you will, as when Noah is asked to build the ark. How is it possible to have a church in a setting like this? How is it possible to build an ark in instructions like this when it's never rained? And so you've got to see this type. You've got to see this type and shadow in the way that it's playing out. And Peter was writing to the church here from this Babylon, this place in Rome. And here's what he's saying. We can be believers. You can be believers regardless of where you're living and what you're dealing with. Jews began to refer to Rome as Babylon in the first century. And when we read Peter's writing about Babylon, we should, we should consider it through that evil and that perverse lens of that day and age. Ladies and gentlemen, I think we're all aware of this, but that's where we're living. We cannot... We cannot coddle what the world has called acceptable and legislated as okay. 
and just say, I don't want to offend anybody. Are we called to live peaceably? Yes. Are we written to to live peaceably? Yes. But hear me, as exiles. Brother Friendly, as exiles. The word he uses is strangers. If at any point this modern world gets me so allured that I no longer feel like a stranger, then I have to realign my worldview and get back to a biblical context for how I live and how I interact. Because if I'm not careful, I'll play into the enemy's advantage and snare and I'll think, you know what we do at church is strange. You know, if we were a little less strange, we could attract more people. Come on, I'm going to debunk some of this right now. You know, if, if we didn't worry about how we talked and if we would stop Pentecostalizing our language and if we, if we wouldn't be so caught up on this marriage thing, pastor, if you, if, if you wouldn't teach so emphatically against fornication, I'm not... Now, we're adults in here, okay? If you're watching online and you've got a kid watching, I'm about to talk adult, okay? So I'm gonna give you a couple seconds to get the kids out because I wanna talk about two adults on this Wednesday night Bible study. I'm not okay with them handing out condoms to our 12-year-olds. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay. I'm not okay with, here's what I'm even more Brother Wolf, here's what even more I'm not okay with. Us acting like it's okay. The world is going to do, I understand on some level, what the world is going to do. But if we're not careful, it will erode. It will erode from us who we are. Ladies and gentlemen, we are strangers in this land. Well, how do you think they should educate them? Here's a thought. How about we get back to educating them when you marry your husband? I know I'm talking like it's 1950. I'm trying to just talk like a believer. We need to fight for the reinstitution of these things. I'm not okay that they have introduced into our curriculum. Here we are. I'm not okay that they got to determine this was Pride Month. And we're supposed to act like that's not strange to us. That's strange to me. That's, that's odd to me. Pastor Carson, does that mean that you don't love? Absolutely, we love the sinner, but we do not love sin. It should be strange to us to love sin. Say, well, Christ went to sinners, but he never left a sinner the way that he found a sinner. His grace and his mercy was always about turning and, and re my God, it was about allowing them to find what they could not find on their own. 
And that's what we're all about. And so there are things that this world does. All I'm, all I'm saying here from 1 Peter in this introduction is trying to get us back to a place where we, we cannot we cannot watch so many things or listen to so many things or read so many things that at some point that we are no longer strangers or exiles in this world. If you agree with that, please say amen. amen. Jim Samer states in Peter's case that foreign Lord is some combination of Satan, the roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, the Roman emperor, and his provincial rulers in Asia Minor. How many have found out by now that the devil doesn't always show up in a red suit, pitchfork? I wish he would. I wish he would. That doesn't happen. It's not how it shows up. A lot of times he shows up in ways that is hard. It's a distraction. And the suffering is what comes as the result of it. So let's talk here, First Peter. Let's consider the authorship for a moment. Firstly, we understand and we're in agreement here today that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. By inspiration of God. We believe that Scripture is God-breathed. From 2 Timothy 3.16, we believe that it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I don't like people getting on to me. Just let God. Just let the word. Pastor, I don't like it. Get mad at God. Not me. But I want, I'm telling you, I want the word to challenge me. If I'm living a way that does not please God, I want the word to, to challenge me. To be there for reproof and correction and instruction. Secondly, while there are arguments about how well-written it is and, 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 and the, the parts of, about Peter's background and, and, and even the time in which it's written, we, we do recognize and most agree that the Apostle Peter is responsible for the authorship of this book. First and Second Peter, the epistles he would author. We know that Peter has undergone some scrutiny for his boisterous moments in the scripture. I myself taking jabs at times because he makes me feel normal. Come on guys, when he cut Malchus' ear off, I felt better about me. When he walked on the water and then started sinking, it felt normal to me. You ever stubbed your toe and said something you wish you hadn't? When he addresses that girl by the fire, you felt better about you. I know we're so holy, we don't like to admit it, but at times he makes us feel more normal. But I'm telling you, Peter, Peter was a powerful leader. According to Acts 4 and 13, he was unlearned and ignorant. He had that lack of Proper theological education. However, it was also obvious, the same scripture says, it was obvious that he had been with Jesus. At the end of the day, I've got to ask myself, would I rather people think I'm smart or know I've been with the Lord? If I have to choose between great orator or anointed preacher, I'll take anointed preacher. 
That's what I want. I hope I can do both, but I'd rather have the latter. Jesus changes his name from being Simon to the Aramaic Cephas or the Greek Petros, meaning the stone in John 1 and 42. He plays one of the most, if not the most critical role in establishing Christianity outside of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul writes about him as unequaled in both both. 1 Corinthians and the book of Galatians. Paul gave him that credit. Let's consider some of the major key events where Peter himself does appear. And let's take a look at his blessing and some of the qualifications that he had. First and foremost, before I name any of them, I'm going to tell you this. He was qualified because the Lord said he was. He was qualified because the Lord chose him. You said it earlier about polishing that resume so nice that you could floss your teeth in it. Thank God for some of these reasons, and we'll make these available on the app for you to have, but thank God for some of these reasons, but I will tell you this, if you don't have a great resume, but you've got his stamp of approval, you've got enough. Okay? He had a personal calling from Christ at the Sea of Galilee. You can read about it in Mark 1. He was there at the Transfiguration. That would have been a lifetime of preaching material. The Sermon on the Mount, the Olivet Discourse, there he is. Jesus' private interpretation of the parables, Peter was there. The Last Supper, he's there. The Resurrection, he's there. The Ascension, he's there. He does get to preach this little event called Pentecost. He's there at the conversion of Cornelius and his household, which is an absolute Gentile breakthrough in, in salvation. And so, listen, Peter although we don't see it from his very beginning, he felt like he was a stranger in exile once he began to get more and more and more connected. Well, he had a blip, though. He really had a mess up. Hey, we've all. Aren't you glad he didn't disqualify you? I'm glad he didn't disqualify me. Let's consider Peter's life here. He suffered at the hands of governing authorities in Acts 3. If you want these, write these down. Acts 3, 4, chapter 12. He suffers at the hands of the governing authorities. He learned that God's glory would be manifested in his sufferings, being different from the other apostles. Christ speaking to his death in John chapter 21. It says there at the end of the statement that Christ was actually speaking to his death when he's referencing the way that his clothing will be. Personally tested his faith for his own refining in Matthew chapter 14. Peter has to understand the choice between the life of suffering for the sake of Christ and the life of pleasure in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. He engages in spiritual warfare, and we watch it play out in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. Peter knew failure and he knew restoration in Matthew 16, Matthew 26, Galatians 2, John 21, the famous story that we taught about about a month ago where we talked about the restoration. If you love me, feed my lambs. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. He had to understand failure and he had to understand restoration. 
very important statement that I want everyone in this room, I'd like you to have it uh, in your mind, if not even written down somewhere in your Bible. We know that he is ha- undergoes this name change called the stone, and we watch the foundational parts of his life and the great amount of faith that is built in his life and that he builds in others. Peter is not the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Peter is not the foundation of the church, but he is foundational to the church. This is a great statement. The world world would know about Peter not because they were meant to follow Peter. I've heard this statement from great people. I'll never forget one of the great statements that I heard about an individual at the end of their life said the Lord walked in, a great man of faith, and the Lord walked into them and, and, and said uh, that they began to talk to the Lord. They knew they were close to being taken and given to death. And the person said, I told the Lord, Lord, I've done everything I could to be like Simon Peter. And said the Lord responded and said, you should have done everything to be like me. And so was Peter powerfully used? Was he mightily used by God? Was he able to, yes, write these epistles? Was he able to preach Pentecost? Did he have some absolute miracles occur? Was he there at the transfiguration? Was he there at the resurrection? Yes, he was. But all that he is doing is trying to get us to follow Christ, not follow him. He is not the foundation of the church. Well, I want to preach like Peter. Well, instead... Try to preach like Jesus Christ. Because that's what Peter was trying to do. Peter was trying to duplicate Christ. Our call is not to duplicate others. Our our call is to try to duplicate and mirror the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the audience here? Who is he writing to? He's writing, according to 1 Peter 1 and 1, strangers scattered. Strangers scattered. Hebrews 11 says that Abraham was a stranger. Exodus chapter 2 says that Moses named his first son Gershom, which means a stranger or a sojourner. Several portions of the Old Testament was composed by exiles or strangers. We see this in Ezekiel. We see it in Daniel. We see it in Jeremiah. We see it in portions of the kings in the chronicles. Even David declared himself in Psalm 39 in verse 12 as a stranger. Therefore, here in 1 Peter, God's people joined those long-described exiles. Pastor, I don't want to be an exile. I don't want to be a stranger. Abraham was. The great leader Moses felt that way. Raised in Egypt, but not feeling like an Egyptian. You've heard the statement, some of you hundreds of times, in the world, but not of the world. An exile, a stranger. Who's he writing to? He's writing to these strangers, these exiled. You'll see on the map here behind me what 1 Peter chapter 1, this image I believe they have to show you um, of these different areas that are that are spoken here and you can see them there Pontus, Galatia Cappadocia Asia here's here's the deal we cannot simply think to them 
based on our time now, we're really thinking in modern day Turkey when we look at these areas and we watch the, the, the writing that's taking place here and understand what Peter is doing. We've got, we've got to see this. We've got to understand the, the, that very likely the audience he's writing to, according to Acts, the second chapter, we know that, we know that the second chapter of Acts is speaking to what takes place on the day of Pentecost. A few of these names are even recognized there. And so converts that started those congregations could have been there at the day of Pentecost when the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. That's how the church spreads. You become a witness of experience. And Peter is writing to them, please catch this, he is writing to them long removed from Pentecost. I wish that every day could be a Pentecost altar. That would make it easier. But he's writing to them, this audience, and he's saying, I know you're scattered. This is the Greek here for the diaspora. The diaspora Jews were displaced. They're living as foreigners in, in countries due to the oppressing of foreign empires against Israel. He's talking to these which have been scattered in this situation. He's saying you might be scattered, but we are believers. And so what's our application as I draw to a close here? What's our application? And what is the application he's giving to them? Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now we're going to begin to dig the text apart, but I want to give you verse 1 and verse 2 at our bookend here tonight. Okay? I want to tell you the exiles we associate with. Verse 2, when he launches in, elect. We know that people have got this mixed up. He is not speaking to some sense of predestination. Only those select few that God has reached out and selected. No. Yes, the Lord chose us before we chose him. But no, we do not believe in a theology that God has to have somehow selected you as special and no matter whether you want to live for him or not, it doesn't really matter because if he hasn't picked you, we don't believe in that. We believe that whosoever will. So what is the elect? What is he speaking to us here? What is he trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us that, that, that you were from the foundation of the world. There was a purchase that was taking place for you. And so it's been put in motion. The elect lines you up in obedience with the grace and the mercy of God. Now this is where another theology branches out. And in Orthodox Christianity, this is what they call Peter's great opening argument for the Trinity. Some of you think, I don't care about this. You need to. We need to be aware of this. Peter is not acknowledging a Trinity here. He is in understand. Well, how do you know? I just read off all of the places that he was with Christ. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood hath, remember that? That came on the heels of Jesus saying, who do you say that I am? 
And Peter said, thou art the Christ. (laughs) Peter was not confused about who Jesus was. How do you know? Because in Acts 2, he had said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why did he do that after the Matthew commission from Christ saying, go therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, Holy. Peter wasn't confused. Peter was not confused. When he began to teach and to preach unto them that day, he was clear on that identity. And Peter is launching in through this epistle and through this letter, and he is saying, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now, I gave you a snapshot of where we're going in 1 Peter. He's about to preach about suffering. He's about to or write to them about suffering. He's going to write to them about hostility. He's going to write to them as exiles and strangers. But he starts the letter by saying, peace multiplied. And I'm here to tell you tonight on the first night as we close, no matter what you're dealing with right now, you can have peace multiplied. Stand with me in this house. So here's your assignment. (laughs) Sometime between now and next Wednesday, I want you to read 1 Peter 1 and 2. 1 Peter 1 and 2. Now there's some of you in here that you love to digest the word. You love to do exegetical work on the scriptures. Have a blast. Dive in. And begin to pick apart chapter 1 and chapter 2. For some of us, it's going to shock us how paralleled the life we're living is with what Peter is writing and who he's writing to. We fit the audience in a lot of ways. We fit the setting in a lot of ways. And circumstantially, we are dealing with this nomenclature of Babylon that we begin to have assessed to different things. It it will be eerie to some of you how much it matches where we're at. So what's that about? It's about this fact. Peace unto you. Multiplied. That regardless of our environment, He is good. He is worth serving. He is worth living for. He is worth praising. He is worth magnifying. Oh, I wish we could magnify him right now. Just, come on, we started with that. Let's end with that. Let's magnify him in this house. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. Oh, somebody just exalt the name of Jesus before we walk out of this place. We're trusting that he's healed bodies and minds that he's encouraged spirits just from being together. Come on, the devil hates when we open up the word and begin to study a little bit together. But God, let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Let us open open this word and make it applicable at home. Oh, in Jesus' name. Praise God. One One of my greatest prayers is that we get the word home that we get the word home, okay? That Netflix doesn't rule your home. That 
Well, okay, I've preached enough. Let's let this work. Hey, let's read it with our children. Let's get our kids in the Word of God. Let's be thinking this way. Love you and honor you. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.